Thanks for checking out the second season of Crime Beat. I need to take a minute here to thank our sponsor, the La Mirada Theater for the Performing Arts. I've seen shows there several times, and it's a great night out. This season is no exception. They have a new play, Roald Dahl's Matilda the Musical. There will be more details and a discount code later in this episode. So thank you to the La Mirada Theater for the Performing Arts, and here's Crime Beat. Some of the descriptions, details, and language in this podcast may not be suitable for all audiences. The first thing Jim noticed was the metal roll-down door had been closed. That was strange because it was the middle of the day on a Monday. It was a work day at the warehouse. Jim, the new owner, had only been gone for 45 minutes, and that giant door had been open when he left. He walked through the other door, the front door. The place was eerily quiet when there should have been the sound of his lone employee ripping apart computers in the warehouse. He called out, but no one answered. He saw Albert's New York Yankees baseball cap turned upside down sitting on a desk. Inside the cap were a set of car keys and a wallet neatly placed as if they could be scooped up any minute. That's when he saw Albert Rangel hanging from a yellow rope. I'm Keith Sharon, a reporter with the Southern California News Group. In 1994, Kathy Torres, a student at Cal State Fullerton, never came home after working a Saturday night shift in the photo department at Savon. In this podcast, I'm going to look at just how cold the case can get. I'm going to tell you about Mary Bennett, her family, Darren Wyatt, and their extraordinary two-plus decade pursuit of justice. This is Crime Beat, Season 2. Episode 4, What Happened to Albert. Albert was about 15 feet off the ground. Beneath Albert was a ladder that looked like it had been kicked aside. Albert had been discovered by the warehouse owner, Albert's friend and boss. His name is Jim, and Jim didn't want his last name used in this podcast. It was the company's first day at its new warehouse, just off Catella Avenue in Orange. Oh, God. Or, uh, we had a very, very tall ladder, um, and it was set up at um, a yellow rope, and uh, Albert was hanging from the uh, rafters, uh, just dangling uh, from the rafters and on the rope. Did, was he dead at that point, or was he fighting to breathe? Or oh, He was um, still alive. Um, I climbed the ladder and I tried to um, get him undone um, down and there was no way I could physically do that. Um, so uh, I just really would break down panic. It was about 1.30 p.m. when Jim got back to the warehouse. It had taken him about 45 minutes to buy a couple of cell phones. Albert couldn't have been hanging there for more than a few minutes because his heart was still beating. Jim ran outside and saw the open door of a nearby machine shop. He yelled for help. Several men came and cut Albert down. Many of the people I talked to thought Albert Rangel left a suicide note. I interviewed his mother, his sister, and Jim, the man who found him. All of them agreed they had never seen a note. I requested a copy of the incident report from Philip McMullen, 
the public information officer with the Orange Police Department. He sent me back an email saying, I checked with our records department and that report has been destroyed per our company policy. Albert was transported to UCI Medical Center in Orange. His eyes were open, but he wasn't responding. Here's Albert's mother, Lori Fitzgerald. She had been working in her husband Greg's law office. All I know is that we got the phone call at work. Jim called Greg and told him, you guys need to come down. Did you go to the warehouse or did you go to UCI? We went to the warehouse, but I, I couldn't get off the car. I couldn't get myself out of the car. So I didn't, I, I didn't actually see because I didn't want to see. The word moved quickly among Albert's family. His brother, Johnny Rangel, was living with Gabby Galvan, who was Kathy Torres' best friend growing up. All I could think to do was to call Kathy and tell her. I didn't um, think about like why he did it or if it was true. Um, I, didn't, I don't know. I didn't think about anything else but to call her and let her know. How did she react? Well, she was just upset, just like everyone else was crying. We were all distraught. On that Monday afternoon, February 7, 1994, family and friends who went to see Albert Rangel thought he was going to recover. His eyes were open. What they didn't know at the time was that Albert was in what doctors call a persistent vegetative state. His brain had been deprived of oxygen for too long. Albert Rangel was alive for almost two years, but he never regained consciousness. He died November 26, 1995. The question was, why would he do this? Had Kathy told him something during their long phone conversation the night before that sent him in a downward spiral? He hadn't appeared to be depressed. He had a new car and a new stereo that was set to be installed the next day. He had a date set that night. He had been planning to take Kathy to the movies. The U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics published a study that examined workplace suicides as far back as 1992. The conclusion? Workplace suicides were extremely rare until 2007 when more and more people started bringing guns to work. But that's a story for another podcast. From 1992 to 2000, the number of workplace suicides in the United States numbered between 200 and 224 incidents per year. That's about 3% per year of total workplace fatalities. Workplace suicides occurred most frequently among white men between the ages of 35 and 44. Albert Rangel was Latino, and he was 19. Over the years, some members of Albert's family have grown more and more suspicious about the circumstances surrounding his death. About 40 hours after a hickey was discovered on his new girlfriend's clavicle by her volatile ex-boyfriend, Albert was found with a rope around his neck. This is Albert's sister, Marie Gonzalez. And I think, I mean, it would be easy if you have a gun or a knife to make somebody do something, especially like that, because once you... I'm, I mean, when I hear about what's happened to my brother or if I think of uh, what happened to my brother, you know, I would picture him climbing up a ladder, getting to the top, hanging himself and kicking the ladder. 
and you don't need to be by yourself if to, to do something like if if somebody had him at, at with a gun or with a knife and made him go up the ladder and kick the ladder I do know at the hospital he had marks like this down his throat where he I guess when you could say try to pull move or I don't know if his own fingernails yeah, like digging under the uh, to the try rope. yeah he had bruises here but I don't know if that's an afterthought I mean what do you do Lori Albert's mother went to the police she wanted to meet with detective Darren Wyatt who worked on the Kathy Torres case for years. Now I'm finding out, okay, she was dating Sam. She was dating my Albert. She had hickeys from my Albert. Then I started thinking, could Sam have something to do with this? And I went to the Placentia Police Department because that's where Kathy lived. And I told them that, you know, I asked them if there was there a possibility that Sam could have had something to do with my son's um, hanging because I had this, I still had this gut feeling, you know, that I don't think Albert did it, but I don't know for sure. I have a fight going inside me, you know, did he do it? Did he not? You know, teenage kids do it all the time. So, you know, there's a possibility that he could, but wait a minute, you know, he wasn't depressed. Who did you meet with? I met with, not Wyatt, I had went with the intentions of talking to Detective Wyatt. I learned there that he was no longer with the Placentia Police, he was with the Anaheim Police. And I talked to, he comes out on TV sometimes, he's, he's, he's bald, I don't remember his name, and I think he had maybe like a little mustache. don't remember his name. My sister Lynn had come with me to talk to him because I told her, I said, Lynn, I have this awful feeling. And he told me, I assure you, Sam didn't have anything to do with your son's death. And I told him, are you sure? Did he check the files? Did he no. do any research? No, no. He just told me that he, he just, and I wasn't, I went out of there with, with an awful feeling. And I told my sister, I said, they didn't even, fucking, you know, look at anything. He just told me, no, he had nothing to do with it. The police did want to question someone in connection with the death of Albert Rangel. And it wasn't Sam Lopez. It was Jim, the owner of the warehouse. I suppose my wife came and got me and we ended up at the, at the hospital. That was my first interaction with uh, the detective's um, who were absolutely brutal with me, um, asking me about if we had been arguing about why I had caused this death. Um, I wasn't expecting somebody to have anything like that in a million years. Oh, so they were accusatory of you? Yeah, yeah. And then, then, they, then they said, well, uh, we have to ask these questions. And I said, no, you don't. You just ruthless sons of bitches. Um, I was just, it just floored me that um, they would ask, they were just relentless with it. Wow, like um, when you say relentless. And after the fact, after the fact, until I had to get um, the attorney to threaten them um, with the, uh, 
kind of cease exist or uh, paperwork so that they would stop contacting me all together in the weeks and months that followed. Wow. Restraining orders and we threatened them because they just wouldn't stop. What, what do you think they were trying to put together? Like, what? I think they were, I think they were looking, they were trying to put together the Torres case with them. Um, you know, they asked me what my connection with Kath Torres was. Um, when did I see her? Uh, they, you know, they just went on and on and on. I'd never met Kath Torres. I didn't have any idea who she was. Jim said he was sure that Albert Rangel committed suicide. He wasn't forced and there was no outside influence on him. So, 100%, this kid killed himself. In my mind. Yeah, okay. There was no question about it with me. Jim never reopened that warehouse. He closed it down that day and took his business elsewhere. On the day Albert was found hanging, Marty Torres drove his sister Kathy to the hospital to see her comatose boyfriend. Marty remembers a song was playing in the car that day. The song that I remember her the most for was a song that her and I listened to together in her car. We had went to the hospital to see Albert. Marty told me the song was El Shaddai by Amy Grant. This is one stanza. Through the years you've made it clear that the time of Christ was near. Though the people couldn't see what Messiah ought to be, Though your word contained the plan, they just could not understand. Your most awesome work was done through the frailty of your son. And how we were just talking a lot about life. And that song, is, uh, some friend of a friend ended up singing it at her service. Beautiful rendition. It's a very beautiful melodic vocal song. But that song, only because that was... One of the last ones. That was like a real deep conversation her and I had about life and in the car, in, her, in that very car. Tell, tell me about that. That conversation. How did it come up? So, like I said, I went with her to the hospital and just remember in a car driving, her being on the 57 freeway, and um, just talking about God. I don't remember exactly what we were talking about, but I remember just because it's like that moment, tragedy has struck, you know, and you become mortal, and you think about your afterlife. I can't, I wish I could remember what we said, but I remember we talked a lot. I think I kept rewinding the song. Police interviewed Sylvia Rangel, Albert's stepmother. She was at the hospital when Kathy and Marty arrived. The other voice you'll hear is police detective Bob Jenkins. Kathy told me that she talked to him Sunday night till about 3 o'clock in the morning Sunday. And he was trying to convince her not to go to school or work to spend the day with him. And she told him, no, I can't, I can't. I have to go to school, I have to, you know. Now, why was he trying to convince her not to go to school? Well, nobody knows. She wouldn't, he wouldn't say. Just no. He wanted to be with her. Sunday, Monday. All day Monday? Yeah, he was going to do it Monday. You know, if he planned to do this, you know what I mean? If he was feeling scared. And she was telling me that, that she goes, I should have went to, I should have stayed home with him like he wanted me to. Imagine being Kathy's mother, Mary Bennett, 
in the second week of February 1994. Her daughter may have been drugged and raped by her jealous ex-boyfriend who discovered she had a hickey on her upper chest from another guy. And then that other guy, her daughter's current boyfriend, was found hanging in a warehouse. Imagine how Mary must have thought the world was caving in on her daughter. There was nothing she could do to help. And yet, everything was about to get worse. Here's the special Matilda discount. Buy one Matilda ticket, get one free. Enter promo code HONEYBOGO, H-O-N-E-Y-B-O-G-O. You must enter the code before selecting your seats. Don't miss the Tony Award-winning musical, Matilda. Packed with high-energy dance numbers, catchy songs, and a gifted young actress. Matilda, October 25th through November 17th. Tickets at LaMiradaTheater.com. Details are a bit sketchy about when precisely Kathy talked to Sam Lopez, the guy who lived across the street that week. It looks like there were conversations on Sunday, before Albert was found hanging, or maybe on Tuesday. Then there were definite encounters on Thursday and Saturday. Sam Lopez told police he remembers talking to Kathy by phone on Tuesday night. It appears that without a hint of romance, he offered her a marriage proposal. He didn't get down on one knee or give her a ring. He asked Kathy if she would consider running away to Mexico with him. Remember, at the time, Sam was in an almost year-long relationship with a girl named Perla Diaz. Why Sam chose this particular week to suggest a getaway is still a mystery. I'll discuss his and Kathy's motivation in an upcoming episode. Kathy's sister Tina remembers having a conversation about Sam. Kathy had told me during the week um, that she was going, that Sam had been asking her after everything that had happened within the two weeks before that, that Sam had told her um, during those days that he wanted to take off and get married. He told her on that Sunday before, um, before Albert's um, uh, incident. And then so she told me, you know, he, he wants to run off and get married and he's crazy. I can't believe he's even asking me because at this time he's seen someone else, right? Tina told police investigators that in the last week of her life, Kathy said she loved Sam, but she didn't want to run away because she wanted to have a big wedding like Tina had. She also told her co-worker, Maria Pilar, that this potential elopement with Sam was weighing heavily on her mind. The bottom line, Kathy told Tina she was going to tell Sam no, and she was going to do it on Saturday night. Kathy spent at least part of every day that week at the hospital visiting Albert. She started keeping a diary for him, so that when he woke up from his coma, he would know what he missed. Kathy was that kind of young woman. On Thursday of that week, Sam called Kathy's house. Kathy's mother, Mary, answered. Look, he called several times uh, asking for Kathy. And Kathy was, I knew Kathy was at the hospital visiting Albert. And uh, at first I didn't tell them, and I don't know, maybe I shouldn't have told them, but I mm. can't go back and change that. But right. at, at some point at the end, I finally did tell him that she was at the hospital. Okay. And, and uh, his tone changed, and he got mad. You could tell? Yes, oh, I could tell. And uh, actually, when she came home, I told her that, uh, that Sam had been calling for her. And I don't remember if she called him or he called again, but she was there just a short period of time, and she took off, and she took off 
I believe, to go see Sam. Sam, of course, told police something different. In Sam's retelling, he was taking a night school class at Fullerton Community College when Kathy began paging him frantically. Sam was taking classes so he could get his general education diploma because he never graduated from high school. Remember, this was the week Sam had asked Kathy to run away with him to Mexico. This is Sam being interviewed by Placentia police officers Gary Legalbo and Bob Jenkins. Sam said he was taking a test, but he walked out because Kathy had used the code 911 on her pages, meaning this was an emergency. The first thing she said is, uh, could you get me any weed? Okay. And, and I told her, I go, wait a minute, this is, this is like you. This is totally different. What's, what's going on? She said, she said, what's the difference if I do it now? I've been doing it all morning. And I told her, well, why? She said, because it helps me close my problems. I go, what's your problems? What are your problems? She said, let's not talk about them. And I go, no, what are your problems? She said, well, I got a problem with my mom. She said, everybody hates me. I don't care about nothing anymore. And I said, why are you doing this? She said, could you or not get me the weekend? And the minute I told her I couldn't, she started cussing me out. She said, you go your way, I go my way. And she just took off. She said, if I don't get it for you, I'm going to get it for somebody else. Sam said their conversation on that last Thursday night of her life only concerned weed. It didn't concern his jealousy, or Albert, or Albert being in the hospital, or running away to Mexico. The police pressed him a little about his proposal. Look, about marriage, we have talked this over and over and over about marriage. Okay. If I, that's the biggest step in your life, to get married. One wrong turn, one little wrong thing, and that's it, your life is over. Okay. You know, it's not basically over, but, you know, shoot, wouldn't you want to stay with one girl for the rest of your life? Understand completely. You know, we've talked about this so many, so much time, and she would, okay, look, she, I knew Kathy liked me, okay, I knew she did, the way she treated me, okay, but at the same time, why would she tell me, she, because on Valentine's Day, no, she told me this in, in the past, she said, you know what, this Valentine's Day, I'm going to get a real present from somebody really special. Okay, and I go. If you would, if you already had somebody, you would have been fucking me, Kathy. And she told me, you never know. And she dropped the subject. Okay. You know. And I and I come up with the conclusion that maybe she was trying to get me jealous, or or me to break up with my girlfriend, or something, for me to budge. But you see, I mean, I didn't really know what to do in that situation. I mean, I didn't either just to be friends or go out with her. Or, you, like you, you didn't about ask her to marry you then? No. You guys just talked no. about marriage. Maybe, maybe in the past. I, I can't. I mean, I can't say I never said that. You know, maybe in the past it came up. No, this so would have been. This would have been lately. Oh no! Shoot, no, not lately. You didn't ask her to marry you lately. No, no, not even. You know. 
Did you ask her to go on a vacation with you? Are we healthy? Look, about that, I know that a lot of people hit me up already. They said they, that, that we were supposed to elope. Okay. This, this is what she... Okay, but look, she had a crazy idea to go to Mexico. Okay, just the two of us. And because she loved to stay in some ranch or something like that and just help people. That's the kind of per person she was. She said, I have this crazy idea, Sam, you know. Maybe someday we'll end up over there. Okay, and when did you guys talk about this? We talked about this like a month or two months before this happened. It was quite a while, it wasn't known recently, you know. And she always had this thing in her head, you know, maybe we should, maybe we should, you know. She would, she would always say, well, when are we going to Mexico? When are we just, but I, I, I took it, like maybe she was messing around or joking, you know, but I, I mean, I didn't realize she took it that seriously, you know, to a little. Okay, a little, where am I going to go? I got nowhere to go, you know. So what do we have? We have Kathy telling her sister and friends that Sam had asked her to run away to Mexico. We have Sam telling police that all conversations about running away together had taken place a month or two earlier. Whatever they had discussed, marriage or running away together or just taking a trip to Mexico, Kathy had told her sister she was going to tell Sam no. February 12th, 1994 was a Saturday. Competition began in the Winter Olympics in Lillehammer, Norway. That was the year Tanya Harding's friends had clubbed Nancy Kerrigan in the knee so Tanya would have a clear path to the gold medal. Of course, Tanya Harding didn't win the gold, but the ratings were good. On February 12, 1994, Bill Clinton was president, and Monica Lewinsky was not yet a White House intern. One of the top movies in America was Reality Bites with Winona Ryder and Ethan Hawke. One of the top songs was Power of Love by Celine Dion. February 12, 1994 was the 18th anniversary of the stabbing death of actor Sal Mineo, who was one of the breakout stars from the movie Rebel Without a Cause. The other star was James Dean. Sal Mineo was stabbed during a robbery in Hollywood in 1976. It was a big deal. On February 12, 1994, Marty saw Kathy that morning as she was getting ready to go to work. Marty was going to a friend's wedding later that night, and he knew the reception would still be going on after Kathy finished her shift. Before I left, I saw her. She was getting her hair ready for work. I said, Kathy, why don't you uh, stop by after work? The wedding was right there on the way home. Just stop by. I want to be there. And she goes, oh, okay, maybe I'll go. I don't know. We'll see. Tina saw Kathy on Saturday morning, too. Kathy was on her way to work. She smiled and waved at her sister. That was it. Fleeting last memories. On February 12, 1994, Kathy Torres worked the noon to eight shift at Savon. It was the first day that week she hadn't visited Albert at the hospital. She told her friends that she would be visiting Albert on Sunday. During her shift, she told co-worker Maria Pilar that she would be meeting Sam Lopez at Baskin Robbins, which was about a thousand feet outside the Savon front door. Around 7.30 p.m., Kathy called her friend Gabby and told her she had no plans for the night. Around 8, she called her mother and told her she would be home soon. Kathy got into her car and drove it across the parking lot. She parked in front of the Baskin Robbins ice cream shop on the corner of Bradford and Yorba Linda Boulevard. In June of 2018, I went to the Baskin Robbins parking lot to talk about the murder of Kathy Torres. I went there with Darren Wyatt. 
We were standing in the spot where Kathy waited for Sam. They met here in the parking lot, prearranged. Sam was going to ask her to elope. I believe Kathy said no, uh, based on the totality of everything that I know to date. Darren Wyatt is an interesting guy. Four days before he was 12 years old, Darren's parents moved Darren and his twin brother Gary to Swaziland, a tiny country between South Africa and Mozambique. Darren's parents were missionaries. The Wyatts lived there for four years before moving to Howick, a town in southeastern South Africa. Darren and Gary attended a boarding school in Mui River. The Wyatts moved back to the United States a month before the boy's 18th birthday. Darren became a police officer for the city of Tustin in 1986. In 1989, he became a private investigator. In 1991, Darren got hired by the Santa Ana Unified School District as a part-time police officer. He returned to full-time police work in Placentia in 1995, more than a year after Kathy Torres disappeared. Darren worked the Kathy Torres case for more than 20 years. When Sam meets up with her, do you think she's safe at that point? I think that she's initially safe when she meets with Sam. However, I think that she's guarded. And the reason I say that is because we have that note that was folded up and shoved between the seat back and the seat of the car. The last thing Kathy Torres did was write a note, presumably to Albert Rangel. She had been keeping a diary for him. It appeared she was optimistic he was going to come out of his coma and she would be able to show him all the pages she had been keeping with current events he had missed. The note said, quote, It's 8.15. Just finished my shift. Today was crazy. Everybody was all buying V... End quote. The note ends there. This is February 12th, two days before Valentine's Day. We presume that she was going to say Valentine's Day cards or presents. But if that was something that was open that she didn't mind sharing with Sam, why would she quickly fold that, stop mid-sentence, fold that note, and hide it in the car? So I believe that initially it was probably safe. It wasn't until she rejected Sam's advances or offers to move that uh, to elope, that things went sideways. Sam tapped on the window and it appears he asked Kathy if they could go somewhere more private to talk. She got out of the car and moved to the passenger's seat. Sam got into the driver's seat. He was so tall he had to adjust the seat all the way back. Kathy Torres would be dead within the hour. Next time on Mom vs. Murderer, find the car. Kathy Torres' disappearance set off a panic among most of the people who knew her. Organized teams of Placentia residents posted flyers in the neighborhood, but the one guy who might be able to help in the search was, himself, difficult to find. Crime Beat, Season 2, was produced by the Southern California News Group. The executive editor was Frank Pine. The senior editor was Todd Harmonson. Audio editing, mixing, and music by Kevin Sablon. Field recording and videos by Jeff Gritchen. Graphics by Kurt Snibby. And I want to give special thanks to podcasters who inspired this work. Amy Wilson and Amber Hunt on Accused. Sarah Koenig on Serial. Brian Reed on S-Town. Chris Gofford on Dirty John. Madeline Barron on In the Dark. Nate DeMeo on The Memory Palace. 
and Phoebe Judge on Criminal. The best way you can support this podcast is to give us high ratings, write great reviews, and tell your friends to check out our work. Also, you can listen to Crime Beat Season 1, Stealing Nixon's Millions. That story was the inspiration behind the 2019 movie Finding Steve McQueen, starring Forrest Whitaker, Travis Fimmel, Rachel Taylor, and William Fickner. Thanks for listening. Thank you again to our new sponsor, the La Mirada Theater for the Performing Arts. Remember, when you buy one Matilda ticket, you get one free by using promo code HONEYBOGO, H-O-N-E-Y-B-O-G-O. You must enter the code before selecting your seats.